Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Roger fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today we're talking with USCfootball.com writer Dan Weber. Lots of topics on the table. We haven't had Dan on in a couple weeks, so check him out on USCfootball.com. He's put up a ton of stories from spring football. We want to talk to him about the Swan being hired, the spring game, uh, wrapping up spring practice, all of that. So we're going to get to that. You guys have sent in a ton of questions for Dan, so we'll do our best to get through each and every one of them. Just want to let you know, if you want to send us a question, podcast at uscfootball.com. That is our email address, or you can leave us a voicemail at 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail right from your computer or mobile device. If you want to subscribe, go to itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. So subscribe on iTunes. we got our own URL on iTunes. You can give us a rating. Five stars would be nice. You can leave some feedback. Positive feedback would be nice. And, of course, subscribe. So if you want to get every episode downloaded immediately to your iPod or your phone or whatever, any of your devices, you can do that from iTunes.com. All right. Well, let's bring in Dan Weber. Dan, kind of take a breath after spring practice, six weeks of intense workouts. And now we are get to kind of look back on everything and kind of assess everything that happened. How are you doing? Uh, uh, pretty good. Uh, uh, typical USC week, though, as far as news. Uh, you know, a lot of places naming an athletic director would be like the biggest news of the week, but I'm not even sure <clears throat> if that is the biggest news. You've got the, you know, the spring game that really wasn't exactly a game, but really mattered. And then you've got the whole, uh, do they name a quarterback? Don't they name a quarterback? Uh, they didn't. Uh, it's just, uh, as we've become accustomed to over the years with USC uh, football, <laughs> uh, there's always another story, uh, you know, today, tomorrow, the next day, and, and who knows when. Yeah, we, we just don't know. Um, there's just so much stuff going on, and it's a little crazy. There's always something going on. And so I, we're going to try to we're trying to get to everything. There's just so much, and I apologize. But uh, I'm going to play you a couple of voicemails we got on the hiring of Lynn Swan. So this came uh, right after the hiring. I think even before the press conference, then we'll kind of get your thoughts. So I'll play one and play the other. Here you go. JD from DC with a question for Dan. Uh, Dan, just asking, uh, let me say at the outset, I think the Swan hire is a very good one. Who knows? It may turn out to even be great, but I think a lot of fans need to pump the brakes and not the sunshine. You know, USC has been victimized recently by a history of casual inside the family hires. Uh, you know, this could be a triple, but a home run. Uh, Lynn Swan has absolutely no management experience managing people. Uh, he uh, ran a competent and valiant but ultimately failed attempt at politics, and he's never held a job of any sort in athletic or academic administration. And from what I can tell, he's not really employed right now. Uh, again, I like to hire uh, but to recall the Dan Weber rule, name me one more D1 college except the USC where Swanee would even have been a finalist for an open AD position. It really raises the question once again, was there a serious search? 
All right, so we've got that one, and then we'll have one more for you, Dan. Uh, Ryan, this message is for you and Dan. I'm somewhat disappointed in regards to the new athletic director. Lynn Swan is a fine gentleman and an excellent Trojan. But with the money that USC pays for that position, we certainly need somebody with extensive experience. They could have had their choice of most any athletic director in the country with you know, background, experience, and knowledge. Uh, a wise man said one time that if you make a mistake that's bad, if you make the same mistake a second time, that's awful. Uh, things were just now starting to get better. I was feeling better about the new coaching staff. But with all the problems that we've had in the past, certainly having somebody with extensive experience and background certainly would have been the wisest choice. I'd like to have you and Dan's feelings about that. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, I do think we we know which uh, direction they were. You know, they were leaning. I, J- I, J.D. I kind of started that. positive, but then it went negative after that. <laughs> yeah, I think, it, it, you know, it, it's hard to say anything negative about, about Lynn as a person. I will say this. Uh, uh, I brought up one thing to Lynn after the press conference about the Pac-12 network. I was kidding. I mentioned, said, hey, you've been able to keep up with USC football uh, on the Pac-12 networks. And he looked at me and he laughed. He said, I live in Pittsburgh. Like, are you kidding? Of course I can't keep up with it. But that led to a discussion where he said, I know there are problems. I know there are schools that aren't happy with the way this is working out. I'm going to take a look at the contract. I'm going to take a look at uh, – I'm going to talk to some of the people in the TV business who I know, and we're going to see about this. Well, whoa, we're going into the sixth year of the Pac-12 uh, you know, TV deal, network contract, all of that. That's the first time I've gotten anybody to say that. He hasn't even hired yet. Uh, you know, he hasn't even started the job yet. And at least that was a positive thing. So, uh, you know, I think – and USC is a different place. I will say this. Remember, uh, I, I got to, as a sports writer, got to cover the Masters uh, some growing up uh, in Kentucky, uh, kind of an SEC guy and all that. I was always really impressed that uh, if you all remember Frank Broyles, who was the uh, Arkansas football coach, the athletic director, and uh, TV broadcaster, was a member of Augusta. And, you know, I think the number is like 150 members or whatever. And I thought, wow, that's pretty, you know, uh, for a guy like that, be a member of Augusta, that's really a big deal. And the more I think about it, last week at Augusta, or the week before, you had two USC athletic directors who are both members of Augusta, Pat Hayden and Lynn Swan. And it makes me always realize USC is a different place. I mean, there are probably, USC's probably got more athletic directors as members of Augusta than the entire Southeastern Conference. It's just different. Did they have a complete search? I do believe them that they you know, looked at 200 or so names. I'm sure they got, you know, a lot of those sent to the search firm, Real Newman in Boston. And, and you know, the guy's very close to uh, Max Nikias, and he's going to do exactly what Max wants. Uh, I do believe that Max interviewed seven, as he said. My guess is when Lynn Swan, and I have told people this, if Lynn Swan wants the job, 
I think he'll get it. I think everybody was measured against Lynn Swan. I think USC is in a place right now. I think they, you know, they brought Pat in from the board of directors with his USC resume, and his job was basically to, you know, we're in a $6 billion fundraising campaign. Uh, you know, this is really important. Don't rock the boat. Try to get us through the NCAA sanctions. Try to, you know, support, you know, the university institutionally, and let's see how this goes. I do think one of the issues, bringing in a complete outsider, but let's say you brought in, I mean, if you could have gotten a guy from Michigan State who I think does a better job than anybody in college sports, um, I think, you know, when you've got a track record like somebody like that has and you've done what they've done, you're going to shake things up. And you're going to ask questions. And I think right now, even though they're, you know, past the $5 billion mark in fundraising, I don't know that USC wants somebody to come in and ask a ton of questions about why did you do this? Why didn't you do that? What about the NCAA stuff? Everybody else in the world fought the NCAA. You guys didn't. Why not? Shouldn't we do? I'm just not sure that they want to go there. I mean, I don't think you become a major big time, uh, you know, top executive of a major big time university by admitting too many mistakes. So I think they still wanted to keep it in the family to some extent. It's not the same. I mean, it's not like bringing somebody who lives in Southern California who's been on the board. Lynn's kind of in the family. He's kind of not. In terms of his executive ability and all that, I'm really impressed by his uh, uh, work uh, as the, kind of the national director of the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. I think he did a, a marvelous job uh, there. I think uh, he asked the right questions. I think he, in effect, that was, uh, that was good administrative uh, training. I do think uh, his, you know, he, he's been on the board of the PGA of America. He's, uh, he's got a lot of those kinds of connections. Will that get the job done? I don't think we can predict uh, whether it will or whether it won't. But I wouldn't underplay. I mean, just the very fact, if you can put together a major campaign for a governorship in a major state like Pennsylvania, you've got to have some administrative and organizational you know, capabilities that, you know, that the average person doesn't have. So, uh I wouldn't, you know, try to like lump him in and say, well, he's just like somebody else who didn't have administrative experience and all that. I, uh, I was very favorably impressed with pretty much everything I saw of him the last couple of days, uh, you know, from Thursday on. Uh, so I'm willing to give, you know, I think the, the, the important thing for Lynn is he's got to get outside of the bubble and get to talking to all the right people and getting all the right information about what what's going on, what's happened, what, you know, why, uh, and not just hear, you know, maybe the side of the story that if you're on the inside at USC, you want him to hear. His ability to get outside that bubble, I think, is really going to be crucial. I, I don't think we know how that's going to work, but, but I kind of trust the guy in terms of his ability to do that. All right. Uh, good stuff there from our first couple of questions. Um, 
It's funny while while you were re- while I was uh, playing those, we got an email and it's some news that happened, Dan. So I'm gonna and you kind of mentioned it with the Pac-12 Network. So I thought, well, not that we didn't have enough to talk about because we do, but I wanted to jump this jump uh, slide this one in here too. Kevin in South Orange County, he wants to know. Uh, I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on the new deal the Big Ten just struck with Fox Sports for 17.5 million per school for the first half of the media rights. Pretty awesome that I can't even get the Pac-12 network and the SEC and Big Ten are lapping us with ESPN and Fox. And uh, it, I, I, John Wilner just tweeted, Dan, too. I don't know if you saw this, but basically uh, the Big Ten's getting 250 million for half of their first tier rights, which is basically what the Pac-12 gets for all of their first tier rights. So it's basically double what the Pac-12 is, is getting. But just get your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, both the SEC and the Big Ten didn't need to reinvent the wheel. The SEC went in, you know, 50-50 pretty much with uh, uh, ESPN. Uh, The uh, uh, Big Ten went in 50-50 with Fox. They didn't need to control everything. They didn't need to own everything. They didn't need to create seven different networks that have all, you know, different programming so that if you're in – you know, the Bay Area, you can't watch UCLA or USC in the Pac-12 basketball tournament. Just nuts. I mean, just nuts of stuff. And yet the Pac-12, the one area where the Pac-12 is way ahead of uh, the SEC and the Big Ten, though, is salaries. They pay way more money. So the Pac-12 spends more money, pays higher salaries, and produces way less for the schools. It's absolutely incomprehensible uh i didn't know about the new deal but you know and and we keep hearing that larry scott says no he's got the right answer because they own all the you know third level rights and they own all the you know where sports is going they're going to be there first and everybody's going to want to watch the the games on their uh on their cell phones i don't think so i mean i, I just the thought of uh, you know on your ipad that that's where Everything and Pac-12 has that all locked up. Uh, you know, there's been no evidence to to show that the Pac-12 formula has any chance of, of paying off to the schools. And, and uh, news like that, I think, is going to play into what what Lynn had said. And this is where I think USC needs to be the leader. USC, you're in the home of, in, in, in many ways, the media center of the world in Los Angeles, and you allow the, I mean, the NFL.com is here, the NFL Network is here, um, Fox is here, Fox Sports, uh, ESPN is, you know, in, increasing its capacity in L.A., I think the Tennis Channel is here, I mean, L.A. produces so many more uh, people for the television industry, and here they put it in the most overpriced place you could put it in the world, in the Embarcadero <laughs> in San Francisco. That's uh, so true. I mean, I'd like to see USC lead the way to say, look, close the offices in Walnut Creek, put them in those buildings that you, you know, rented for the Pac-12 studios, and bring the Pac-12 networks to, to L.A., where they ought to be, where they've got much more access to the kinds of people that – uh that you need to run a network. I mean, the one place that the Pac-12 hasn't screwed up is when they do their media days for football, where are they doing? In L.A. Why? 
because they get way more coverage and way more attention and way more accessibility to all the networks. I mean, they're coming here, for example, the, they moved the uh, Pac-12 Media Days up two weeks this year. Why? So they could have them at the same time as the ESPYs in L.A., and they would have access to all the uh, ESPN people. Well, duh. If it, you know, if it makes sense for one year, they ought to do it you know, for the whole time. And this is where you'd like to see USC just say, look, you guys, we're going we're gonna to get this thing squared away. We're going to you know, take it away from the people that are making the wrong decisions. And uh, for all you who thought you know, that Larry Scott had, had the answer, it's obvious he doesn't have the answer. You know, these school, schools are getting about a million dollars a year, and they're just getting, as you say, lapped by you know, the people that USC has to, and the Pac-12 has to you know, beat out in, in college football are the, you know, the Big Ten, the SEC people. And uh, they're just killing the Pac-12 in terms of, uh, you know, television uh, uh, revenue. And, and that can't be allowed, you know, to continue. And somebody has to take the lead, I think. And uh, maybe Lynn Swan will be the guy. Maybe, you know, his, his TV background uh, will be, uh, you know, what it needs. And, and I also like the fact that he's an Annenberg guy. He's a public uh, relations, uh, you know, major. He's quick on his feet. I thought he handled himself really well. I tried to throw a couple of things at him, and he's good. He didn't screw up. He didn't, you know, give you any of those answers that you're going to have to live down. Uh, so maybe, maybe he can lead the campaign uh, against the uh, uh, against the Pac-12 uh, plan that is going nowhere in, in terms of television. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be getting better. So uh, check it out. This is kind of breaking news as we're taping so uh yeah check it. john wilner does a great job on those so you can follow him yep. uh wilner yep. online and uh, john for a while was pretty optimistic he's a bay area guy the san jose mercury news and he concentrates on pac-12 and he for a couple of years was you know this is we got a chance mama. john is no longer optimistic about where this is no. going john has gotten flipped big time he joined us and we maybe we <laughs> by nature are we're more negative uh, to begin with, but uh, but John has slipped, and uh, there are very few people. I, I don't know. I mean, I feel sorry for the people working for the Pac-12 Network, and there are some really good people. Oh yeah, and they can't even make the case. You know, they try, but it's just there's no case to be made. I mean, you you cannot make the case now for the Pac-12 Network, and it's uh, it's pretty sad. You know, it's funny, Just I don't want to get into this too much, but it's not easy to run a network and create your own network and do all that. The, even the NFL network, I mean, that's run by, billion, you know, owned by a bunch of billionaires, and they have troubles, you know. And I've talked to people that were hosts that work for both, uh, like, a major network and the NFL network, and they're like, when I go to a game and it's shot by the NFL network versus, like, one of the major networks, it's like night and day, the organizations go, like, those people have been doing it for so long, they're just... It's hard to try to produce live sporting events, and it's just it's just not an easy thing. And being in, the, in bed with someone that's done it for decades is just – there's so much value in that. And even with the NFL Network is having problems doing that kind of stuff, not that it's it's bad, but just you the people that are on the inside can tell this is an NFL Network production, and it's a whole nother level when you're talking about a major network production. What do you expect the Pac-12 Network to do too? So that, that's part of the thinking of – partnering up with an ESPN or a Fox would have probably been the best deal. 
Well, and they're also, they're in the wrong place, and they're trying to do seven networks. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, to do both of those things together. For example, uh, you know, the, the uh, uh, SEC network, had, uh, when they uh, you know, went in with ESPN, ESPN had a whole bunch, uh, a major studio complex in Charlotte, North Carolina, that I think they got from Raycom or Jefferson, whatever the name of that. There was a an original kind of uh, uh, college sports network in uh, Charlotte. So instead of, even though uh, the SEC network, obviously we know where the SEC is, the network is, you know, in Charlotte, North Carolina, because that's where they had all the facilities, and it made sense for them to, uh, you know, to not try to reinvent the wheel. It's why, for example, Paul Feinbaum, if you guys ever listen to Paul Feinbaum, uh, was, you know, based in Birmingham for all those years, and now he's with ESPN, and he's over in Charlotte. Uh, you know, you can have your, but, you know, ESPN made, this will make us more money. We don't have to redo, rebuild, you know, a whole studio complex and, 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 you know, come up with a lot of new people. These people were available, the studio's available, and we can go there. And uh, there's a reason uh, you partner up with ESPN or Fox. All right. Well, we kind of had a, a longer introduction, I guess, to the show. We had to talk about yeah. these topics. Uh, we well, want to get we to the said spring- uh, there's always something happening, and, you know, you yeah. Did, you know, we don't have to make that point anymore, I don't think. <laughs> There's always something. Well, I want to get to the spring game. And, uh, you know, we have a whole bunch of questions on stuff. It's, you know, but I wanted to get your overall thoughts, Dan. I talked to Coach Harvey Hyde on Monday. He really wanted it to be more of a game game. It certainly, you know, wasn't as game-like as the ones you were seeing on TV, uh, especially from the SEC and stuff. And uh, But you know, kind of get your overall take on it, and then we'll jump into some of the questions-specific stuff. Yeah, I don't want to be unkind, but for the people who wanted it to be how they wanted it to be, it really doesn't matter. It isn't about them. You know, it's about USC football and whatever, you know, was the best for USC football at that point in time. I think that was what they decided to do made the most sense. I just think it did. And not because they were given in to, oh, they don't have enough guys on the D-line. I just think it – I think they wanted to kind of establish – most of the spring, the defense has been setting the tone, and they've been ahead. And even without uh, a number, I don't know, seven or eight guys who could be starters, uh, they were really, uh, you know, with Clancy and, and all the, you know, the blitz and, 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 and the different coverages and all that. And so they basically stayed in one defense. They basically, uh, you know, were going to, you know, pretty much uh, not blitz and not really change up the coverages and all that. And that was going to benefit the offense. And I don't think that anybody, you know, had any other sense of that. And I think that was a good thing. I think you wanted to give um, everybody a sense of uh, this is the direction we're going. This is how we're going to get there. Uh, I think we, I even, you know, we want to make it about, you know, what you wanted. I did want to get a sense of, of what the, what the offensive feel is going to be, how the plate calling, how the flow is going to be, um, you know, how Team Martin and Tyson Helton are going to work together, how the quarterbacks are going to see things. I mean, I think we got to see a sense of this is what it's supposed to look like. I think for the players, they got a sense of this is what it's supposed to look like. I think with the defensive guys, 
they know what it's looked like much of the spring. They know what it's to look like, and they know what it would have looked like, you know, in turn, if it were, you know, if they just said, okay, this is all out, we're going to go blitz, and we're going to, you know, confuse them, and we're going to do all this kind of stuff. I don't think they needed to do that. I don't think they needed to put that on film for Alabama to take a look at. Uh, you know, I know people say, well, uh, Alabama boss, as, as Lynn said after the, or Lynn, who's, um, as Clay said, after the uh, scrimmage, it is the next game on on the schedule. I mean, you probably are in a place where you do a little bit think about, you know, what the next game is and, and how you get there. So, uh, so I thought I was pretty pretty pleased with, with how they did it, that they didn't feel the pressure that, oh, people in the stands or on television or they've got a two-hour time slot on the Pac-12 networks, and that's more than a lot of the other schools had that day. Uh, they still ran a practice, and they ran it the way they wanted to run it. And they, I, I kind of like that, that they have a sense of this is how we're going to do things, this is who we are, and they just did them. And uh, uh, I think I, I, I was uh, I'm very positive about the way it turned out, and I don't think they needed, uh, you know, to, to say, well, we're going to play a game like, you know, deal here or whatever. I, I don't think they needed to do that, and uh, I was fine with <clears throat> with what they did. All right. Well, let's jump in the questions. We'll try to make them quick because there's there's a ton, but that's good. People want they have questions for you, Dan. I mean, that's specifically okay. for you, so they <laughs> want to ask you questions. Okay. So here we go. Tarek will start us off. He says, "Can Darius Rogers be a consistent number two receiver, or do you see him being challenged in the fall by Michael Pittman and Tyler Vons?" Well, I think he'll be challenged. I, I, I wouldn't say that this guy's going to challenge him or that guy's going to challenge him. I think there are a lot of people capable of challenging him. I do think his uh, he really worked hard on on yards after catch. He really worked on I mean, I, we always knew and thought he's a tough kid. He's a possession receiver. He's got those great hands. Uh, but, uh, and I think he's trying to remove that but. That, uh, but can he run with the ball? Can he, you know, can he really create some separation in that? And I thought he did some things, and he's doing some things that tells you, you know, this kid's really working hard to be able, you know, to separate. He's working hard to, you know, to get as close to, to Juju as he can. And uh, so I was, I was impressed. But uh, let's hope that he's pressed all, you know, all summer, all fall by a whole bunch of guys. And, you know, when you see uh, Michael Pittman, you go, whoa, man, he doesn't look like a freshman. Uh, there are things that, you know, he's got some special athletic ability and size and, and all the other things. And uh, wide receiver isn't necessarily a place where you have to have two or three years of college experience to be able to show what you can do. So, yeah, I think he will be pressed. And, yeah, I think he's, uh, you know, his – He's really improved in, uh, in some of the areas where Darius uh, knew he needed to improve. I like it that he told himself that and went out and did something about it. Um, John at Oakland has a question. He's kind of jumping ahead, and we'll maybe, I guess this will give you an opportunity to talk about what Clay Helton announced last night. Um, but he said, assuming Max Brown is the starter this season, if USC has a much better season than last, like wins the Pac-12 championship, makes the 14 playoff, and Max has better numbers than Cody's final year. What are the pluses and minuses arguments 
that you would make to Max on his decision to come back for another year, considering he will graduate next month. If he has a good season, skipping a fifth year at USC and going into the draft would seem like a possible choice. Fight on from well, Oakland. Yeah, no question. I mean, I think that's that's the dream scenario. If you're a USC fan, you want this team to have such a good year, and you want Max Brown to have such a good year that people are telling him, hey, you could be a top 10 you know, draft uh, pick, and you really ought to do it. Uh that's what I think anybody who cares about USC football ought to be wanting, wanting to see. And, uh, it, you know, that you start strong, finish strong. Everybody says, wow, this kid, uh, and that you get a lot of the credit because of the offense and, and, and what have you. And the same thing is going to happen with the coaches. If that happens, if that scenario happens, you're going to be saying, gee, how do we make a case to T. Martin that he doesn't take this head coaching job? So, I mean, this is just saying, it could happen if the best possible outcome happens for this team. Uh, and I think that's what you, you kind of want, want to happen. You know, I don't think people should be worried about, oh, what if, what if we have a great year and da, 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 uh, we're going to lose Max? You gotta, I think you got to hope that that is, uh, is the outcome this year, that you have to think about it and where Max would have the choice where, yeah, I really like school, or I really this, or I've got a, you know, I've got my degree. I'm uh, midway through uh, 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 an MBA program, and uh, you know, I can get that in the off season, and uh, maybe it's time. And then at that point, you all say, "Boy, aren't we lucky that Sam Darnold is ready to go?" I mean, you know, so to me, that's how I'd look at it, and just say that's probably what everybody ought to hope for. All right. Uh, Garrett wrote in, Dan. He said, I'm pretty sure that you wrote the portion of the war room that stated suggestions for Lynn Swan for the next two months. And he said it was spot on. The questions about the 77,500 capacity for the Coliseum, the ugly bleachers, private suites location, etc. All are issues that have been raised about this renovation proposal that no one on this current administration seems to be addressing or caring about. They don't seem to be listening to the vast majority uh and see to, I'm sorry, they don't seem to kind of cut off. They don't seem to be listening to the vast majority and seem to want to go ahead with this proposal, ignoring any concerns from the loyal fan and alumni that support this team and the university. Please, Dan, is there any way you could voice these concerns to our new AD before they ruin the Coliseum for good? It would be a huge first step by our new AD if he can step in here and heed the call of the fans and alumni and change and say, no, you're going to come up with a better plan for our beloved Coliseum. Otherwise, We'll know it will be business as usual with this new AD. Thanks. Fight on from Garrett. Yeah, Garrett. I mean, that clearly is something we hope to be able to uh, to do something about, and I think other people are hoping as well. I do think they're supposed to come back. They were supposed to get all, all the feedback, put it together, and then come back with a revised renovation plan. We haven't heard that. I think one of the one of the timing issues was maybe it was going to come last week and then, you know, the Lynn Swan thing comes. So, uh, and I don't know that they're in as much of a hurry now because of the whole, you know, the Rams moving in and all that, that, that happened after, uh, you know, the original announcement in, in October, what they were going to do. I know I was looking, there's a, a site called the college, uh, the, the business of college sports and they have listing, 
uh, all the renovation, stadium renovation plans and facilities upgrades and all that. I was going through there, and the only one I could find that was going the other direction, like USC, is uh, Cornell decided that uh, most of their good stands were on one side of their of the field. They just knocked down the stands on the other side. They just boom. They're they, you know they were like only ten rows or so on the other side, and the Cornell fans are not happy. But I thought, gosh, if you're you know in a you know in a group where the only other school that's going backwards is an Ivy League school in the you know hinterlands of New York, uh, that's probably not a good thing because you look around at the other top twenty programs, they're not going back. They're not you know taking away seats. And I mean, you look across town, UCLA. Uh, got Pasadena to put in whatever it was, $180 million into the renovation of the Rose Bowl. They really didn't lose any seats. Now, and I know there are people might say, hey, they should have lost some. But, uh, but you know, they're still 90, 91, 92,000. And uh, uh, I just don't think USC wants to be in a position where, the you know, the crosstown rival, you know, has almost 15,000 more, you know, seats available. I mean, who's to say that in the you know in the future people aren't saying, well, why don't you play play the game there in the Rose Bowl every year, so fifteen thousand more people can go every year? Uh, I don't know that USC wants to you know put itself in that position. So that's just one of the one of the issues. And I know they talk about the National Historic Registry uh, you know site that they can't change the the look on the outside of the bowl and all that kind of thing. I I would really like to see a lot of research done because you just don't see other stadiums taking away all the good sideline seats pretty much on one side in order to put in private boxes. That's that's just not how people are doing that. And there are an awful lot of, you know, great historic stadiums that have done a lot of things, you know, Michigan and Ohio stadium and, you know, Kyle field Texas A&M, the University of Texas has just done great things with their, you know, historic stadiums, and they haven't taken away seats, and they haven't, you know, deprived people who've had seats for years and years of their seats. So uh, I would like them to take another look at it. So I hope you're right, uh, you know, that we can uh, get through to someone at USC to take another look at it. All right, let's go to Nick in Cyprus. I uh, got to run into him at the spring game. He said, nice meeting you and Ryan during spring football. Question is simple. Who are your top three stars on both sides of the ball? Uh, for spring, let's see. I, I think Sam Darnold has to has to come through as, as the number one, uh, more because of just where he was and where he is now and how he, you know, how strong he finished. Uh, I'll be honest, I think uh, uh, if you look at on the off, probably, you know, I don't know if we can limit it to three. I thought Daniel Amater, baby, you know, just because, again, a chance to, to shine, uh, having been a scout teamer, and Ryan wrote about that, uh, you know, today, uh, and where he is now and the physical, you know, skills he's got and the enthusiasm and, and what he could do for, you know, the three-man uh, tight end group. Uh, on the offensive line, I was really impressed with both Nico Falla and Chad Wheeler. I mean, I, I, who, who knew Chad Wheeler was going to come back? I mean, first of all, who knew he was going to come back? Secondly, that he'd come back at, I guess he's pretty much holding at 310 pounds now. 
and he really looks like, you know, a big time guy. Uh, so, and I think Nico just looks like, uh, he may be, uh, you know, tough to, you know, to dislodge, but again, you don't want to leave it there. I mean, Max Brown, I thought had a sensational spring, uh, and, uh, Justin Davis, I thought, you know, just, you can't ask for anything more than he's done, uh, in terms of, uh, his maturing as a runner, his patience, and yet his, uh, it looks like more explosiveness, uh, uh, defensively, I think Malik Thornton was their star. You know, here's a guy that, you know, was he too small to play two gap? And, you know, every day we would see him making plays on the practice field. But, uh, I know like a lot of the other guys, just wasn't big enough to play in a system that, you know, like Quentin Powell and Michael Hutchings just wasn't big enough for them. Uh, and then I think he, those two guys, I think the two senior linebackers, the way they've, you know, they've come through. Um, uh, Porter Dustin and Uchetta, you know, and the Wisha on the ed- on the edges, I think. Uh, uh, so I'm probably having trouble, you know, keeping it at, at three, uh, at three apiece. And I think I'm on Marshall, uh, and no matter what, you know, Saturday, maybe got lost on a, on a play or so, but uh, the way he works and, and, and the ability he's got, I, I just think he's been been pretty much of a star all spring. So, so that's probably about a half a dozen on each side. But, uh, <laughs> we'll have to, you know, we'll stop there. All right, thanks for that one, Nick. Um, yeah, I agree with those, Dan. I mean, a lot of a lot of stars. The interesting guys are the stars that weren't contributing last year. Um, yeah, I mean, those are like extra scholarships. Yeah, because basically those were kind of. I'm going to say they did some special team stuff, but those are kind of like, you know, uh, wasted scholarships. And I don't mean this in a negative way about those guys. Uh, like the program was wasting their scholarships. And now, you know, a lot of those guys are going to be starters or at least certainly in the, uh, in the rotation. And that's basically adding, you know, a half a dozen scholarships. Uh, and that's, uh, that really matters. All right. Let's go to Tana in Utah says, I'm very interested in the tight end situation at USC. Um, Dan mentioned I did write a story about uh, Daniel Metrobebe up on uscfootball.com. You can check it out. He talks a lot about the tight ends. He says, McNamara and Petit are returning, but I'd like to see Daniel Metrobebe get the start. He fits what Helton wants to do, which is establish the run. McNamara and Petit aren't great run blockers and don't look physical enough. Uh, Daniel reminds me of Randall Telfer or Fred Davis. Uh, I might be completely wrong because I haven't seen McNamara Petit since last year, and I've only seen Emetor Baby's highlights from high school. Uh, and you guys have seen all three of them at practice the past few weeks. What do you think, and who should get the start? Well, it's always good, I think, to ask those questions before you take shots at, at people. I, I don't want to be mean here, but but uh, those guys are working. First of all, the priority is they want them in the passing game. So they clearly... They want them to be able to, you know, run the seam. They want them to catch the ball. They want them to be available on, uh, you know, pretty basically every passing play. They're not going to keep them in. So uh, I think uh, all of them can do that. I think Daniel may have uh, a little more speed, but uh, uh, I think Taylor McNamara has improved tremendously since he's gotten here. He didn't get a chance to do a lot at Oklahoma. And, uh uh, I thought, you know, I thought, for example, um, Saturday, they flooded the zone on the touchdown pass to Daniel. Taylor was also down there, and they did one of those formations where they've got the tight end 
he's the, the first tight end is kind of as a wing back on the inside, and then they flex the other tight end out just a little bit, and all of a sudden you've got two guys, you know, in the in a kind of a, the same zone, and it really makes it tough. I mean, they're a little too big for a corner. Uh, they're a little too fast for a linebacker. Uh, uh, it's, uh, and, and maybe, you know, they sent them both uh, to the outside, and that's a little far for the safety to come over. And I think you're going to see more of that kind of thing. But I wouldn't put a big premium on the starter. I don't think in that group all three of them are going to be considered the starters. I mean, uh, and a lot of times two of them are going to be in the game. So I don't think there's any sense of uh, who's the starter. Uh, I don't know that, you know, uh, Tyler's probably got the best hands. He's probably the tallest. I don't think he's quite 6'6", that they list him, but uh, he's running. I think he really worked on his running, so he's running better. Uh, but uh, 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 I think they're all going to work hard on blocking. I mean, I think I've been told that, you know, Daniel is as strong as anybody on the team in terms of just natural athletic strength. That he's just uh, – you know, just a great, great athlete. And, uh, but, uh, but they're all going to, you know, have to work on their blocking, but that won't be the only reason they're in the game. Like last year, basically, you know, USC took the tight ends out of the offense. So you didn't have to defend the tight ends. If you were, uh, you know, Wisconsin or, or, uh, Stanford or somebody like that, and you didn't have great athletes maybe in your secondary, uh, you didn't have to worry about somebody stretching the field down the middle of the field. So you could concentrate with your safeties, your linebackers, whatever. You could concentrate on, uh, you know, your linebackers could concentrate on stopping the run. Your safeties could help out against Juju or whoever. And, you, you know, USC made it a lot simpler for people to defend itself, to defend USC because of the way they attacked them. That ain't going to be the case this year. You're going to have to account for the tight end or two tight ends every, every down. And that's really going to put more pressure on your linebackers and your safety. And uh, and that's a good thing. And if the linebacker, for example, has to account for the tight end every play, he may not be able to come up and jam the inside run. Uh, I just think it's so much more of an intelligent approach on offense. Uh, last year, they, they basically coached out of fear. They were afraid they wouldn't be able to block. Uh, they wouldn't be able to pass protect. So they had to keep the tight ends in. Uh, you know, you can't, I don't think you can coach that way. You can't coach out of fear that you can't do something. I mean, they, they were afraid of a lot of things they thought they couldn't do on defense, so they didn't do very much. So they, they just said, well, I don't know if we can do that. Uh, I don't, that's not how you can coach. That's not how you can play. And if you're USC, the kids you recruit don't come here to play like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm fairly upbeat on, you know, the way this, this is going and the three tight ends, uh, what they've done there, I think, is, says as much as anything about, uh, you know, the direction of this, of this team. But uh, I wouldn't limit it to, oh, we need a starter there. No, you need all three of those guys. All right. Well, we go from tight ends to fullbacks, Dan. Uh, how is Ruben Peters progressing? Will he be able to contribute this season? Uh, and there are there any areas that he needs additional work? One of my favorite players to watch was Stanley Havili. He had the ability to run, catch, block out of the backfield. Is there any chance Peters will be used in a similar way, or does the different offensive scheme slash talent uh, level, uh, talent level, 
eliminate that possibility. Thanks for all the great work, Alan from the Bay Area. Well, I think they would love to be able to use him, you know, like Stanley. I mean, I think they'll start with uh, Kenny Block. Now, I, I, that, that may be the one thing because of Stanley's shoulders. I'm not sure, and he was essentially uh, a big tailback. Uh, so I think Ruben probably with his linebacker, you know, situation, I mean, he built an awful like, you know, he and Stanley uh, both about, you know, a little over, barely a little over six foot and 220 pounds or whatever. Uh, but, uh, but Ruben is more of the classic, uh, like Ross Cumming was uh, in 2011, you know, more of a lead blocker guy right now. Does catch the ball pretty well. I mean, they do throw the ball to him in practice. Uh, uh, how he's going to run the ball, I don't know. Uh, he, I, I would say he's never going to be Stanley in terms of running the ball. Uh, will he ever be able to run the wheel route like Stanley did? Probably not. Uh, but uh, he just has to do what they need him to do. Uh, they're going to, you know, if they're going to take the tight ends and – and, and, and do some things with them. I think they, you know, they have to be able to maybe, I, I think this team is going to run the ball more inside the guards. I mean, that just didn't happen for the last couple of years. And I think to be able to do that, you've got to have a lead blocker uh, at times. And uh, uh, I think that's where uh, Ruben is, you know, going to concentrate. But I do think he will catch the ball, and I do think they will throw it to him. I mean, they're going to make you at least be concerned about him as a pass receiver. Because they don't want you to say, well, he's in the game. He's obviously going to be a lead blocker. Uh, but uh, as, as to him running the ball uh, or catching it like Stanley, my guess is uh, that probably won't happen. Uh, let's move on. Stephen Poway, uh, he had a lot of questions. We're going to stick to his first one. Uh, Give it an update on the arguably most interesting new Trojan who is playing a huge position of need, Olawali Batiku. Well, Bedicu, I will say this: Everybody probably got the one. The one view you got of him was uh, they 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 did a designated run. I thought it was designated anyway with Jalen Green, keep to the right, and he <laughs> there were, he didn't gain an inch on Alawale. I mean, and and I'm not sure in that foot race. And everybody had already seen how you know what kind of you know speed uh, Jalen's got. I think we've always known it. You saw it Saturday. Now he couldn't. He didn't have a chance of beating uh, uh, Wally, you know, to the uh, edge. Not it wasn't even a, a, a thought that he was going to, you know, be able to beat him and get to the edge. So there's a kid with, you know, tremendous burst. I mean, just amazing how uh, how well he runs. Um, you know, he's new to the game. Just a couple of years of playing football. He works at it hard. He's uh, he's probably put in more extra time than anybody this spring. He, and he will be out there by himself uh, still working a half hour after practice is over. So, uh, uh, you know, I think he'll be a designated athlete who will be just sent in. I mean, I don't know that you'll see him playing play after play after play, but uh, there, are play, there are times you can put him in there and he will go by people uh, in ways in which USC hasn't probably had anybody that uh, – you know, they, they can quite do what he can do uh, in terms of just sheer, uh, you know, 250-some pounds of, of just flying, you know, force. And he can fly. Uh, 
Now, you got to know where to go. You got to know all the techniques when you get there. You don't want to be running by people, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, man, he has got some athleticism. Uh, let's go, Jarrett. Sorry, man, they just keep coming. Uh, what position has Achille Ross generally been playing throughout the spring? And can you gauge what position he will be playing long term? Due to cornerback being thin, uh, is he getting reps there? That's from Jarrett. He's not getting any reps. I mean, yeah. we didn't see him at all. He, he basically is, is that shoulder uh, is, is, it has didn't come around. So I don't know. I don't think that he even got pads on one time. Uh, and uh, so that's a good question. I don't know. He looks like a safety. Uh, he looks like a big, strong wide receiver also. Uh, so whether he's, uh, you know, but he's also very athletic. So whether he, you know, can you know be a you know a, a slot defender? I mean, they're going to need five uh, uh, DBs much of the time. So, uh, so I don't know. I think that's a good question to be determined uh, over the summer and uh, and through the fall. That'd be something to keep our eye on. But uh, you know, it'll be the kind of. I mean, when you think about it, we were saying they've got a whole new defensive backfield coming in. In terms of Adore, who's got uh, track and field, you've got Chris Hawkins coming back from uh, surgery. You got John Plattenberg, whose foot just didn't come around, or ankle, uh, and uh, Jack Jones, who's coming in from uh, Poly. So that's four. But when you think about it, you got Yakeli Ross. That's five. So that you know, just by itself, those five guys, that's a pretty darn good secondary for any place, uh, you know, in America. So. Uh, you add those to the guys that are there, and uh, uh, the depth is, is going to come around, I think, uh, for the fall. Okay, let's uh, – John and Brea, he says, thanks for the fantastic coverage of spring practice. Who needs the LA Times when we have all of you? You're the best. Well, thanks, John. Um, do you think the USC offense has started to develop an identity, or is it too early to tell? What, what would the new Alabama defensive coordinator be losing sleep over when thinking of the 2016 USC offense versus the USC offense we've seen the past few years? Thanks for all you do. Fight on, John and Brea. Well, I think we saw it Saturday. I think it, it's it's what everybody was talking about afterwards. Is uh, Tyson Helton probably explains it the best. Is and it really is a lot of the concepts that that Western Kentucky was using. And it's blending those in with the things that USC was doing and, uh, and with a commitment to still, we're going to be able to run the football. We're going to be able to block you at the line of scrimmage. But, uh, but I think the thing that you noticed is you didn't see, as you noticed with Cody, where the head would go first progression, second progression, third progression, uh oh, scramble. Uh, what you see with, with now is, the way the offense is designed is they're trying to get someone available for the quarterback very quickly. And uh, it's not so much progression, progression, progression. It's get the ball to the guy in space who's in space right away and available. And you got to, to do that, you have to have enough people, especially you've got to have that those tight ends available. And, uh, and you've got to have – uh, backs who can really catch the football. And uh, so I think that's the I, – I, I thought for the first time we had a really, really good feel of exactly how that works. And it's obviously a system thing because all four quarterbacks had the same kind of 
feel about it. It wasn't so much who's in this quarterback. It was kind of the system. I thought it was interesting, too. This is the, um, because they were basically playing man, uh, the commitment was, you know, the secondary is just going to go straight man. Uh, that didn't give them much opportunity to do the bubble screen. Uh, you know, it just doesn't make any sense if they're playing it properly. But uh, I thought there was one play where they were doing uh, uh, drives, uh, you know, and they, they were like second in a yard and a half or third in a yard and a half, something like that, less than two yards. They come out, and I think Max was in there, and the uh, uh, cornerback was probably dropped off four or five yards. Not much, but just enough. And they immediately took the bubble, took the two yards, got the first down. wasn't a fancy play, but they came up to the line of scrimmage and said, okay, it's there. We'll take it. We'll take the first down, and we'll go on. And I think that's what, what Tyson was saying afterwards. He said, what we want is the guy who keeps the chains moving. Doesn't have to be pretty. We want it to be effective. And I thought that was the only time all day they threw a bubble. But it was effective. They got the two yards they needed. And they got the first down. And they moved the chain. And I like that because, you know, they ran 84 plays. It was the only time they took a bubble because it gave them a first down. Uh, I think that's kind of what you're going to see with this offense. They're going to take what you give them, and they're going to keep the chains moving. And it's not going to be a big deal. It's just going to be very natural to to do it that way. It's not going to. And, and one of the reasons is it's not going to be like in those games where they couldn't even throw the ball to somebody in the two-minute drill at the end because they were taking everything away. If you do this right, they can't take everything away from you. If you can run the ball inside, if you can throw it to your tight end, if you're very comfortable throwing it to the either you know the three or the four wide receivers, they can't take all those things away from you. But last year, against the good teams, the good defenses had the ability at times to really shut USC down. I don't see that this year. I think that's a thing of the past. All right, let's. Uh, we got Rodney. He said, "Good afternoon, boys. Just want to first off say thank you for all the hard work uh, in the field, getting all the info, and to bring back to us USC fans that live abroad and cannot be there in LA watching our boys put in the work. I look forward to hearing you guys every week. You guys need to train the other bunch of guys that, in my humble opinion, are terrible at reporting USC football. Okay, not sure he's talking about there, but we'll just move on. I just want to know how physical does our defense look under this coaching staff? Last few seasons, we couldn't hang defensively, and it cost us a lot of games because of our lack of being physical. Are we tackling more and doing more work on developing a defensive mindset and players to go out there 100%, not give up on plays uh, in the, because they're tired? I appreciate uh, you getting back to me. Fight on. Rodney from San Diego. I do think they do push them harder. I, I certainly the, the offensive defensive lines against one another work harder than we've ever seen them. I mean, and they come out of there having, you know, put in a full day's work every, every single day. So, I mean, when you talk to these kids after practice, the, the linemen, they look like they've been dropped into the pool. I mean, they're that, you know, just, but so they, you know, uh, Kenichi Udezi and, uh, Neil Calloway, uh, are really well matched in terms of, uh, you know, physicality. And I do think physicality starts with the, uh, with the guys up front. Uh, 
in terms of uh, tackling in the defensive line, when you have good athletes, if you've got them moving, and if you've got them aggressive, and if the whole theory is you want to play on the other side of the line of scrimmage, uh, and you want to, you know, you want to, your defensive linemen are supposed to penetrate. They're going to play one gap and get through. Um, you're going to make tackles and you're going to run through people. And uh, I don't think there's going to be any sense of, oh, are they, ta-? you know, now if they change the way they practice, that becomes a whole different story. But uh, if they keep practicing the way we've seen them practice and, you know, then in the way they say they know they need to practice, uh, and the kids are almost demanding it. I mean, you know, you have guys that talk about we needed a change in our culture, you know, the culture change here at USC. And uh, they know, I mean, there was a time where I think they thought, oh, great, we're getting coached like NFL teams. And then they'd play somebody like Stanford who wasn't getting coached like an NFL team and get, you know, get pushed around. So I think they know that they needed, you know, to be this, this physical. But with the athletes they've got on defense, if you're moving, if you're aggressive, you're going to tackle people. You're going to run through people. You're going to be in the right place. You're going to take the right angle. I mean, a lot of what you do in practice, you don't actually have to take people down. If you do all the drills and all the, you know, the work on, uh, on uh, pursuit angles and, you know, avoiding, I mean, they do a lot of stuff with, uh, you know, avoiding bags and, 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 you know, working on their lateral movement and uh, stops and starts and all that kind of thing. If you get the kind of guys they've got moving to the ball in the right, you know, right pursuit angles and all of that, they'll tackle you. I mean, they'll just run right through you. I mean, I thought Jabari Ruffin had, you know, Saturday, and we haven't seen that from him. Uh, uh, I thought he had he just a wreck. I can't think of who it was. He just a wreck. Stephen Mitchell, I think, on a crossing pattern. He just erased him. I mean, it was like he was just, he vanished. Uh, he just ran right through him. And you're seeing more of that, where you're just seeing guys, you know, kind of run through people because, you know, they're athletic enough to do that. But, uh, but I, I think I'm pretty encouraged that they're going to do that. I mean, they did it in 2013 with, uh, with Clancy. So uh, I don't think they're going to change the way they're practicing. And the way they're practicing, I think, will get them to where they need to be. Uh, it, it, you know, is it going to be Alabama level? You know, uh, probably not. Not that first game, but that's not necessarily where they're going to, you know, beat Alabama. If you beat Alabama, you uh, you might have to do it, you know, somewhere else. But you have to be good enough at it to be able to stalemate people. You got to be able to stand in there and and you know and, and swing with, you know, take everything they've got and give everything you got. And I think this team's going to be able to do that. All right, Dan. Well, let's. Uh, I think we can wrap it up. At this point, a lot of questions, a lot of topics. It was a great job. Uh, thanks for coming on and sharing all your insights. So much to talk about. Yeah, no, uh, wait till tomorrow, mate. Who knows? Uh, uh, <laughs> we, we, we never know, but uh, uh, this is fun. And, uh, you know, it should be a fun off season. And uh, when you get, uh, uh, I think what somebody said today, I saw a post and I didn't hear it, but they said Colin Coward said that USC's got the toughest college uh, football schedule he's seen in 30 years that that he's been paying attention to it and i thought wow that's 30 years that's uh, you can't disagree when you think uh they're going to play uh and i know you've talked about this they're going to play you know alabama and texas come back utah state at home and they go to 
uh, Stanford uh, in Palo Alto, and then six days later, another road game at Utah, uh, a good Utah program, and uh, expected to be a, a really good Utah team. Nobody does that. I mean, that's not. There's not a schedule. You can't even, you know, begin to think of it, somebody else that's trying to do that. So that's an awful lot to think about in terms of, uh, and now you can do it. You're through spring ball, and that's what's next. So uh, it's going to be a heck of an off season and a lot of fun to think about where this all is going. But uh, uh, the questions, uh, what if, and all of that kind of question, uh, that's what we got to do for the next, uh, you know, four months. All right. Well, Dan, lots of what ifs. We'll be uh, keeping in touch throughout the off season, summer workouts, and all that kind of fun stuff. So, thanks for coming on, and everyone else. Thanks so much for tuning into the Parastyle Podcast. I'll probably end up doing a solo podcast also this week to talk more about what's been going on with the team. So we'll get into all of that stuff. If you have any more questions, send them in podcast at uscfootball.com. But thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 